in Romans, as I'm going to begin a, a very lengthy study of Romans, um, and one of the most profound books in the Bible, really one of the foundational theological premises in the Bible, written by Paul last week. I gave you the outline of who Paul was, uh, and you can go and check that out. You know, it's posted online. I would suggest if you weren't here, you get that, because I think it was a pretty good introduction uh, into Romans. And so we're, now we're going to start reading uh, individual verses, and I'm going to take it a verse at a time, just the way I did uh, the Gospel of John. And remember now, this is written A.D. 54. The Gospel of John won't be written for another 30 years. Um, and uh, Paul is writing this to the church in Rome, even though he has never been there. Um, and there are, we, we recognize Rome is a city of about 1 million people, uh, there are about forty to 50,000 Jews in Rome, and there are about, theologians believe, 200 Christians. And so he's writing uh, to that church. And one of the things that touched my heart is here is how God loves his church. Here, the entire book of Romans is being written and addressed to these 200 Christians and those who will eventually join that church. Uh, obviously to the Jewish people as well, uh, indicating to them just how great God is and what the gospel of God is about. And so this is really a profound lesson. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, verse 1. We're going to do the first two verses. Verse 1, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. So, there we go. The most important word here uh, in the introduction of Paul's letter to the Romans, and you understand he's writing this as a letter, it will begin to be passed around in the churches, uh, and when they put the, the canon, the New Testament canon together, it was clear that everybody agreed that this series of letters needed to be in uh, the New Testament. Uh, he mentions the word gospel. This is the gospel. And so what Romans is all about is laying out to uh, the world and to the church what the gospel is about. What did Jesus do? What did God do through Jesus? How can we know that this is God's word? And what does it do? It is the theme of Romans. The theme of Romans is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so it was written to make the good news of Jesus Christ more widely known. And this becomes important for you because as you begin to spread the gospel to other people, much of what you're going to talk about is going to uh, be here for you in Romans. And so he's telling people that he has been set aside and set apart as an apostle uh, to spread the news. And the point of this is this is a gospel that was promised beforehand by God himself through the Old Testament, through scriptures. This was not a secret. This didn't take place in a secret environment. God made it amply clear that there was going to be incredibly good news coming uh, through his son, Jesus Christ, and he did it over and over and over again through his prophets uh, in the Old Testament. Now, he says here, well, the power of the, of the gospel, he says this, and this, these are one of the verses that you'll study, I am not ashamed of the gospel, 
because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. As I said last week, wherever Paul was, he was always the smartest man in the room. He had a gigantic intellect. He was well-educated. He was well-educated by both uh, historical secular standards. He was well-educated by religious standards. Uh, and so what a tremendous power this guy is. And his words, to me, leap off the page. They're almost lyrical. Uh, they reap off the page. And here he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, because this is what the gospel is. First for the Jew. It's interesting, isn't it, that he says that first for the Jew, because that's exactly why Jesus came. Jesus came first for the Jewish people. It's only at the end when the Jewish people abandoned him and walked off the stage that the gospel was opened up for the Gentile. That will be reversed someday, and the Jewish people will, in fact, uh, accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior at the last days. Uh, and so uh, one of the things that you need to recognize and need to be able to speak to people about is that Christianity is a completely different religion from every other religion in the world. If you study the world religions, what you will recognize is that pretty much the rest of the religions in the world wind up being what I will call self-help. If you do X, uh, this will happen. If you raise yourself up and lead a good life, this is what will happen. Uh, uh, and then there are the religions that are dark religions, uh, like, like Islam, uh, in which those religions don't raise man, don't elevate man, but seem to put man down. But clearly, Christianity is different from all of those. Because in Christianity, what we see is a God who loves humanity so much that he provides a lifesaver to them so that one day that, that lost humanity can be with God. That God wants to have a relationship with his creation. There is no other religion that does that. And that God gave God himself to die on the cross for his people. There is no other religion in which God himself dies on the cross uh, to save humanity. And so the bottom line is, is that it is impossible for any human being to save himself. You cannot save yourself. And the only way you can save yourself is by giving your heart and your life and everything you are to Jesus Christ to accept him as your Lord and Savior. Because if there were any other way, do you think God would put Jesus on the cross? I mean, think about it. If there were any other way you could be saved, why bankrupt heaven and send Jesus to the cross? Clearly, there only was one way that God himself would have to put God on the cross. Uh, and so that is why the gospel is good news. It's good news because when you accept that free gift, the moment that you accept that free gift, accept it with your lips, accept it with your heart, then your life is is changed forever. And then when somebody comes up to you and says, uh, do you think you're going to heaven? Then you can answer, oh, no, I don't have to think. I know where I'm going. I know I'm going to heaven, all right? Having nothing to do with my good works or my personality or my character, I'm going to heaven because I accepted Jesus. Warts and all, failures and all, 
I'm going to heaven because I've accepted my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen on that? I mean, that's the important thing for you to understand. That is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, uh, God also recognized that sin had a gigantic hold on humanity, that nothing we could do would break that hold, that right from the very beginning of time in the Garden of Eden, sin took hold of humanity and separated us from God. Uh, And so Paul really has the perfect history to speak about this. Who else would have this history? Here was a guy uh, who followed a religion that strictly defined good works. If you were a Jew and you followed the Ten Commandments and you followed the law, you knew you had a path to righteousness. But guess what? Nobody could do it. Nobody could follow the law. And instead, all the law did was further bury you uh, and keep you from the righteousness of God. Uh, And so it's interesting when he speaks about what the Lord did for him and how the gospel cut the chains of the law. Turn to Romans chapter 7, if you would. Romans chapter 7, verse 24. What a wretched man I am. This is the guy who will write more than half of the New Testament. Don't you love the way of his introspection? What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in the sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. Here's the point of what he said. He knew what to do, but he couldn't do it. He knew what he wanted to do, but he couldn't do it. He knew what righteousness was, but he couldn't do it. He was a slave to the law, meaning his slave to the mind. His mind knew what the law was, but his heart didn't allow him to do it because he didn't have the grace of Jesus Christ. He didn't have the Holy Spirit uh, enervating him and motivating him and teaching him every day uh, about what, what salvation brings to us. And so this is where... Christianity comes in um, and proclaims what is really good news. Uh, And again, this is important for you to know uh, because the gospel is good for two reasons. First, it tells us that God is actually there, that he is not a figment of human imagination. You know, when when you study uh, the Greeks and the Romans, they had multitude of gods, statues of gods in every possible way but they were imaginary gods. They had no proof that there was a God. Uh, and But we do have a proof. Our proof is in Jesus Christ, all right? Uh, and our proof is that when he came here and died on the cross, he rose from the grave and 500 witnesses, eyewitnesses saw him as he walked around for 40 days. And so we know God is not a figment of our imagination. He, furthermore, he has made Jesus Christ so that we can have fellowship with him, and he makes us accountable to himself for what we do. So our life has purpose, meaning what? Meaning this, there is accountability for you to how you serve God. There is accountability to you how you accept Jesus Christ. There is accountability to you if you reject Jesus Christ. This gives meaning to your life. Now, secondly, Uh, in terms of the gospel. It tells us that God loves us and has reached out 
to save us through the life of Jesus Christ. Uh, because we know we could not reach God. We know we could not cure our defects. We know we could not get out of our sinful nature. The only way we could get out of our sinful nature is by the life-giving gift of Jesus Christ. God himself has bridged the gap between humanity, a created uh, creation, and the divine one himself. And that bridge is Jesus Christ. Now, the next thing that I want to focus on, and this is important as we, we study Romans, is that Paul says the gospel was promised beforehand through God's prophets. Now, this really becomes eye-opening to me because it's very clear, as I'm going to give you a series of verses and scripture, that you will see that God clearly indicated that Jesus Christ would be coming. And why is it, though? Those verses were around for 1,800 years, 1,600 years. Why is it that only the apostles in the early church were able to distill those verses and conclude that God had made those promises? Well, it's the Holy Spirit, okay? Because what God did, even though those verses were available and people didn't seem to understand it and the Jews didn't study it, uh, instead, the apostles, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and the leadership of Jesus Christ himself, came to understand that this was clearly delineated in the Bible. Make no mistake about it. Jesus Christ is coming. I have provided a Savior. There is no surprise. Be ready. Be awake. There will be no novelty. And all the prior revelations of God point to Jesus Christ. There is one reason the Bible was written, from Genesis to Revelation. One reason and one reason alone, Jesus Christ. You understand? That was the purpose of the Bible. Jesus Christ, get ready. He's coming. He is your Savior. It is the bridge between a lost humanity and God himself. And so Paul will reveal this uh, certainly through, through other preaching. He will reveal it uh, through, uh, through Romans. But let's begin to examine exactly how Paul did this, even in his teachings. Look, if you would, please, to Acts chapter 13. And I told you that no man, no man gave the theology of Christianity to Paul. He never met with the other apostles uh, prior to preaching. He, went, he spent 18 months in the Saudi Arabian desert. And in that period of time, he was basically mentored by Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit. Can you imagine what that had to be like? Uh, out in the desert, basically one-on-one -on -one with Christ, having Christ pour the New Testament, the gospel into Paul. And you have to come away and, and be marvel, you know, marvel at this, at the accuracy uh, and, and the ability that this man has to do that. Look at Acts 13, beginning with verse 32. And here he is speaking here in Antioch. Look at what he says. We tell you the good news, what God promised our fathers, that are Jewish fathers. He has fulfilled for us, their children, by raising up Jesus, as it is written in the second Psalm. And now he is going to interweave Old Testament scripture to prove his point. Psalm, uh, the second Psalm. And he quotes here in, the, in this quotation, it's from Psalm 2, verse 7. You are my son. Today I have become your father. 
Moving on with the same, the verse 34. The fact that God raised him from the dead never to decay is stated in these words. Uh, and now he will cite Isaiah 55, verse 3. Isaiah has written 800 years uh, before Christ will be born. And here's the citation. I will give you the holy and sure blessings promised to David. So it is stated elsewhere. And here's another one uh, that he cites. This now is Psalm 16, verse 10. You will not let your holy one see decay. How about that? How about that? You wanted to know what the promise of God was about Jesus Christ? There it is. The Holy One would not decay. The Holy One's body would not decompose. The Holy One's body will rise from the grave. For when David, verse 36, had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. And when they use that word in the Old Testament, falling asleep means he died. He was buried with his fathers and his body decayed. But the one whom God raised from the dead did not see decay. All right? Understand this incredible, powerful message of Paul. Therefore, my brothers, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is justified from everything you could not be justified from, from the law of Moses. Imagine that. Uh, I mean, you could not be justified from the law of Moses. There wasn't justification in the law of Moses. There was judgment. The law is judgment. It's black or white. And everybody failed, but God now gives a life preserver. God gives a savior uh, through Jesus. Verse 40, take care that what the prophets have said does not happen to you. And now he's going to quote here uh, from, from uh, Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 5. Look, you scoffers. Wonder and perish, for I am going to do something in your days that you would never believe, even if someone told you. How about that? Okay, look, you scoffers. Uh, and, and, and right there, I mean, God, God laid it out. I mean, they just didn't read it. They didn't study it. They didn't take it to heart. Uh, but it was so clear uh, what God was doing and, and how he was going to reach out uh, to both the Gentiles uh, and, and, to, and to Jews. Uh, look also, if you would, at Isaiah chapter 49. A lot of verses for early in the morning, huh? All right, stay with me. Isaiah 49, verse 6. Uh, and this, again, is a prophetic statement about who Jesus would be. He says, It is too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. This is what the Lord says, the Redeemer and Holy One of Israel, to whom who was despised and abhorred by the nation, to the servants of rulers. Kings will see you and rise up. Princes will see him bow down because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel who has chosen you. Amen? Where were the Jewish people? Where were the priests? Where were the Levites? Where were the Pharisees? Where were the people who supposedly spent their life studying the Bible? All right? 
You, do you understand how you can read and read and read, and if your heart is not open and you're asking God for wisdom, how it's all in your head, and you miss the fact that the train comes in and the train is left? I mean, this is an astonishing set of facts and verses that is, the more and more I study this, you know, even to the fact that Jesus is born in Bethlehem, and the Bible makes that very clear, uh, pointing out that, that the Messiah will be born in Bethlehem. And there he is, born in Bethlehem, and only the wise men coming from present-day Persia absolutely knew that the Bible had foretold the fact that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. Come on, man. What a warning this is to us as a church. Just because you think you have the Bible and you take it for granted, you have to read it and study it and ask God to open your heart and reveal his will to you because otherwise you can be blinded. Don't think it's just like the, like, uh, the old days. Look, this is a danger for us. We need to be aware of this. Uh, and that's why we study this. Uh, and so uh, Philip, the evangelist, it wasn't just Paul. It wasn't just Paul that understood through the Holy Spirit uh, that, that the, uh, God had spoken through the prophets about who Jesus was and who Jesus would be. Uh, the Ethiopian Philip, when he, when he evangelized, the Ethiopian uh, eunuch uh, spoke extensively about who Christ was, because you remember there that when the Ethiopian uh, eunuch saw Paul, uh, let's turn to that, Acts chapter 8. I want you to get a sense that this was going on in the first century church. It was common. They understood it. They knew that this is what Jesus had taught. And so here you have the, uh, uh, Philip speaking to the Ethiopian eunuch who had come to, for one of the Jewish holidays to Jerusalem. Uh, and so here it is, Acts uh, chapter 8, verse 32. This man, uh, uh, verse 27, this man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah is written 800 years before Christ. The spirit told Philip, that's the Holy Spirit, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot, heard the man reading Isaiah, the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. And here is an example precisely of how the Holy Spirit works. Because think about it. This guy is a high official from a foreign country, and now some guy with sandals and a robe on has the temerity to walk up next to it, hear, hear this guy reading, and says to this guy, do you, do you actually know what you're hearing? Do you know what you're reading? I mean, normally, somebody like that would be hit in the head, all right, and say, you're an ignoramus. How dare you? I'm in a chariot. You're walking with sandals, and you have the, the temerity to speak like that to me? Who do you think you are? But you see, who do I think I am? The Holy Spirit told me to do this, and when the Holy Spirit tells you to do something, you better do it. Okay, you better do it. You better speak to people uh, when 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 the Holy Spirit tells you tells you this, because otherwise you're 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 failing God. Uh, and so, continuing on uh, with this, let me see what what point I I left off. Uh, he says to him there, he's reading the section in Scripture where the sheep is slain uh, without opening his mouth, without making a sound. And the question is, Philip. The, the Ethiopian eunuch has no idea what this is about. How can this take place? What, what, is, the point, what is the point of this? Uh, and uh, Philip really uh, hits a home run here and lays it out. In the, the, uh, verse 32, this is a Acts chapter 8, verse 32. The eunuch was reading this passage of Scripture. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, 
and as a lamb before the shearer is silent. So he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. Now, here's the question. Why is something like that written about a man in Isaiah? He has no descendants. He doesn't defend himself. He goes before his accuser. He never opens his mouth. What is this about? No human being could distill this and come away with an understanding of who it is. And yet the Holy Spirit reveals it. Verse 34, the eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, him or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus Christ. And so you understand they took the Scripture, everything they they knew about Jesus or knew what Jesus would become, what the prophet said he would be, all coming from Scripture. God laid it out before. He wrote it with his finger. That's why we know that this is the Word of God. The Bible is the Word of God. And so we understand this. Now, so we understand Paul used the Old Testament. Philip used the Old Testament. But Peter also, Peter also cited the Old Testament to prove who Jesus was. And one of the most powerful sermons on that is on the day of Pentecost. And so here you have uh, in the upper room, 120 of the early church. That was the total church at that time. This is now about uh, 40 or 50 days after Jesus is crucified, maybe three months after Jesus is crucified. They're in the upper room. And if you go to meet with me to Israel, you'll see where that upper room is. I, saw, I sat there and saw it in that upper room. And they're waiting and praying just as God had asked them to pray. And now suddenly the Holy Spirit descends like a mighty wind, vroom, on that, on that room. And suddenly, every single person in that church, 120 people start speaking in tongues. But get this straight, not gibberish. You understand? Not gibberish. They are speaking in a foreign language. Why? Because that's why God gave that gift of tongues. Because outside, in the street, were one million Jews who had come into Jerusalem to celebrate the high priests, the high festival. And there they are in the streets. And I could tell you, I stood there. And you look up and you know that's where the upper room is. And they heard the gospel of Jesus Christ being preached in their own tongue and dialect. Notice what I said there in their own dialect, because there are those people listening on the radio now who hear me speak what I say is English, but they're saying, that guy doesn't speak like I speak. He sounds like he's from New York City. You understand? That's the dialect. I know I have people nodding here who come from that area, and they know exactly what I mean. Of course, we know that that's truly the only way English should be spoken. (laughs) But can you imagine? You You hear the gospel being preached in your known tongue, and in your own dialect. And so what happens? 2,000 people get saved. 2,000 people. And of that 2,000 people, there's a select group that goes back to Italy and goes back to Rome, and that's how the Roman church got started. Uh, And and you see this powerful, powerful message uh, in his sermon, Acts chapter 2. I want to read it because, again, it shows you, again, what God is doing. He did it before. This is no secret. God lays out his teaching uh, and his promise. Uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 14. And Peter stood up with the 11. 
raised his voice and addressed the crowd, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine o'clock in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And he begins to lay out the promise of, of Joel that men will speak in tongues. And he continues, verse 22. Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by, by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. You know he did those miracles. You're aware of it. That was no secret. Verse 23, this man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, uh, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. He went willingly because it was God's will that he went to the cross. It was God's foreknowledge and purpose that he die on the cross. But wicked men did it anyway. Verse 24, but God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to hold, hold, keep its hold on him. David said this about him, and now he's quoting from David. I saw the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body will live in hope because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with your presence. So there you have it. There it is, written before, written a thousand years before, the promise of God. This is what will happen. This is the good news of God. Jesus Christ, promised by the prophets, written with the hand of God in Scripture in every way. And then he says, and he concludes this, this uh, sermon, Brothers, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on the throne. Seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of the fact. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. How about that? How about that? Is that a powerful enough message? All right. Is that a powerful enough message to tell you exactly what God has done, what the promises of God were? This is the good news of the gospel. This is what God wrote thousands of years before. This is what God promised. This is the redemption of Judaism. It is the redemption of Israel. It is the redemption of the Gentiles. This is what the book of Romans is about. And we're going to spend a long time going through each and every verse so that you can get up and do exactly what I'm doing to friends and neighbors and other people so that you can teach this gospel to other people. Can I get an amen? amen. Let's close with a prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for the words that you've given us, for the promises, Lord. I thank you for the scripture. I thank you that you've not hidden this from us, that you've made it clear thousands of years before that this is your will, this is your Jesus, this is God himself. We thank you, Lord, for these words. I thank you for Paul. I thank you for, for his intellect and for his, the Holy Spirit impressing these words on him. And now, Lord, I ask you to take these, this message, seal it in our heart. 
Let us consider it and grow with it in every way and bring our dear people back again next week to continue the study of your word. We put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. I'll see you in uh, two Sundays.